1: Hey, inclined listeners, looking to start your own podcast? Let me tell you about Anchor. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Now, you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can have it heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to The Incline, your Dodgers podcast for Dodgers talk, rumors, updates, and everything Dodgers. I'm Kevin Klein. I'm David Rosenthal. I'm Ian Nielsen. We're your host, and this podcast is powered by Dodgers Lowdown. And without further ado, it's let's ride
0: excited before each and every game here at dodger stadium take it away ben. it's time for dodger baseball
1: what is up everyone welcome to the incline 2020 first podcast of the year very excited Today I'm just joined by Ian Nielsen of Dodgers Lowdown, one of your well-known hosts. He's back, just going to be us two today, no David Rosenthal. What's up, Ian? How's it going?
2: How's it going, man? Congratulations, real quick. This has been your first full year having a podcast, right? Yes. Well, congratulations, and it's awesome to see the way uh, this whole thing has gone and the growth it's had in just a short amount of time, and I expect 2020 and this entire decade should be a pretty big – turning point in the right direction for us all.
1: Hell yeah. Make sure to subscribe to The Incline. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Anchor.fm, you name it. So what's up, Ian? I want you to start the show off. What's on your mind?
2: Well, the first thing that's on my mind, and I just want to you know say this because our dear friend David Rosenthal is not with us. He Before I say anything, before Kevin says anything, he just wanted you all to know that under no circumstances do you trade Lux or May. The Dodgers farm system is too deep and they can afford to trade a package of a bunch of those other prospects instead of just those two dudes. Uh, I agree with David. Um, And I think we'll start off with what the biggest thing on Dodgers fans minds is. I'm sure Kevin would agree. Um, Mookie Betts and David Price. And it's not Mr. Untouchable talking about it. This is John Paul Morosi. This is a, verified major league baseball insider there's legitimate traction it looks like in a move between Mookie Betts and David Price being sent to the Los Angeles Dodgers in exchange for what probably would not be a huge um, return for prospects Um, David or Kevin what's your opinion on this I I think this is kind of a trade you have to make if you're the LA Dodgers you didn't sign anybody big in the offseason which I, I understand I really think Garrett Cole got overpaid because of an amazing walk year. I have my questions about him, Anthony Rendon, a little bit similar situation. Um, and again, you have Justin Turner to play there. You'll have Cody Hosey coming up our first round pick pretty soon. I'd imagine Seeger could maybe move over there someday if Lux uh, upgrades defensively. But to me, this is the deal that while you don't really have a need in the outfield, you certainly don't have a need in the rotation for a guy like David Price. You're adding a top five, mvp caliber talent to an already great roster and he's a right-handed hitter he can hit at the top of the order uh let me get your take i want to see how you feel about this yes
1: well on the last episode of the incline which was right before christmas i want to say it seemed like the david price and mookie betts trade saga was starting to really develop and then the holidays rolled around and things kind of stymied well now it's January 2nd, and it looks like the Dodgers are back in business, really compelled to make a move. And I think you have to go all out to make this trade possible. And, yes, I agree with David and you as well. We don't want to trade Dustin May or Gavin Lux. Those guys are untouchable in my mind, although I'm a little more willing to part with May if the package is right. But – yeah, you got to make this trade happen. Mookie Betts is an MVP caliber player. He's a top five player in all of baseball. He's the guy you want at the top of your lineup. And I think they would be they would really be missing out if they let him go elsewhere, because there are 28 other teams in the league, and you can't just assume the Dodgers are the only one trying to make a trade for Mookie Betts. I'm actually very happy that the Lindor talks have died down. It appears that the Indians are only willing to move Francisco Lindor if Gavin Lux is involved. And I think the ceiling with Gavin Lux is insurmountable. I think he's going to be an all star even as soon as 2021. In 2020, I think he will be a big impact bat. I expect him to be at least the everyday second baseman, assuming Seager is still with the Dodgers. So I'm very optimistic. I think this trade's going to get done within the next two weeks. I really do think Mookie Betts and David Price are going to come to the Dodgers.
2: Yeah, and I want to touch on what you said real quick about the whole Francisco Lindor talks because that was the other deal. They were looking at maybe Francisco Lindor. Um, I always had a hard time believing that one because the L.A. Dodgers have a franchise caliber shortstop in Corey Seager. Yes, he underperformed last year, but if you look towards the end of the year, you started to see the flashes of greatness offensively again from him. He's proved he can play defensively at shortstop. He's a little bit bigger. I know he's tall, but he's very thin, very athletic. Uh, I think he's done an outstanding job defensively, certainly was better than Machado. Um, and he has proven that he probably will be the franchise guy at that position. Uh, the whole talk about Justin Turner moving over to first, he always said he was open to it. But what guy is going to go out and say that he's not open to it? A guy, Especially a guy like Justin Turner. He's not a malcontentious player. I don't really think there was intention for that deal to get done. And to be quite honest with you, as talks went on for that deal, the name I was more interested in every time was Mike Clevenger. Mike Clevenger was more the focus, in my opinion, for that deal because maybe you're adding another third pitcher to that Bueller-Kershaw mix. And either way, um, this deal seems like a no-brainer to the Dodgers. Um, You're going to be able to slot bets into the outfield alongside Bellinger and likely – it can be a little bit of a cushion. It can make Alex Verdugo's transition back to the major leagues a little bit quicker or a little bit easier. It doesn't have to rush him back. Um, it's a, it's going to be another weird kind of salary deal. Certainly David Price, the biggest thing Boston is looking to do. And this goes with any team that Dave Dombrowski is the general manager of. He's now been out twice in two different organizations this decade alone, Detroit and Boston. Take a look at Detroit right now. They won 47 games last season all because of financial commitments, depletion of the farm system, and losing core young players because you weren't able to retain them. Boston is at a crossroads right now because they just won a World Series, which Dombrowski's been able to build these short-term teams very well. He'll just spend his money, deplete his system, do everything he can and chase a year. Boston had its year. Boston now is already starting to see the problems of what they've done. Chris Sale starting to show signs of not being the ultimate ace he was, he's going to get paid. J.D. Martinez, he opted back into his contract. He's going to get paid. David Price on the hook. Mookie Betts is going to demand a huge contract. Boston cannot afford that. They have, like, the worst farm system in baseball right now. And I could see things going really south. If they don't make this move to unload Price – unload bets it'll be similar to that deal the dodgers made with boston back when gonzalez came to la and punto and crawford and beckett and all those guys came yeah uh though i think it'll be pretty more productive for the dodgers as i think david price let's not make it out that david price is some worthless contract the dude can still pitch he proved in 2018 he was their best pitcher down the stretch in the postseason he was better than chris sale uh Evaldi was pretty awesome but if we're talking a guy that came through david price for all the struggles he's had in the postseason similar to Clayton Kershaw, was outstanding. I think he's proven that he can pitch. He's got mostly fastball, cutter, change. He doesn't really throw any breaking stuff, so it wouldn't be too difficult for the Dodgers to work with him. I would not be surprised to see him be the number three behind Bueller and Kershaw this year, maybe even ahead of Kershaw. That You're adding a legitimate starting pitcher to a rotation that's kind of young right now, and it would help, you know, not put, take the pressure off guys like Urias. It would take the pressure off guys like May and Gonzalez whatever youngsters come up from the system. So I personally am a fan of this deal. And if it could possibly mean having to give up another prospect to unload Pollock to Boston, I think you do that as well.
1: Definitely. I, I really like your point about Detroit and Boston. My issue with the Red Sox was after they had won the world series, I don't know why they didn't just let players like E.valdi go. Instead they locked yep. themselves into financial hardship and that's where they are today. And I think the Dodgers have been pretty good at that, as we'll get to a couple guys who are going to new teams, Ryu and Hill. But staying back to the point, what I really like about this David Price acquisition is he's only got three years left on his deal. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, if the Dodgers kind of showed their cards by offering Garrett Cole an eight-year contract, then we are going to most certainly be in a fine financial position the next three years once David Price's contract is off the books, that's when we start to focus on paying guys like Bellinger and Bueller, and maybe Lux. We'll see what how it all pans out, but right now, I don't think the Dodgers are really concerned about money, and that's why David Price is a great veteran arm to add in this rotation because I feel like a lot of fans are expecting big things right away from May and Urias, but April and May, they kind of have to ease these guys in because none of them are going to be pitching 200 innings. I think at most, maybe May gets 150 Major League innings as well as Arius, because the primary concern is saving their arms for the longevity, not with, um, willing to risk injury. Plus, we got the whole postseason, which could be another deep run, hopefully. so That's why, yeah, David Price is a great fit into this Dodgers rotation because they got to replace... Hunjin, Ryu, and Rich Hill. Ryu is off to Toronto for a four-year, $80 million deal. Where do you think
2: the Blue Jays will find themselves in the division next season? I don't see them being any different than they were last year. They're a fourth-place team. Baltimore is absolutely pathetic. Uh, The New York Yankees and Tampa Bay Rays have kind of taken control of the AL East, and Boston, depending on what they do with Mookie Betts and David Price, depends on what they do before the season – I see them as a solid third place team, regardless of the trade, regardless of keeping them. Uh, I don't see a whole lot changing in that division. Um, Toronto adds a very high upside pitcher in Ryu. And we all saw last year, the upside was insanely high. He pitched very well for the Dodgers. I think he was, did he lead baseball in ERA last season? He's been number two, I, or no, no, no. He's been number two behind DeGrom the last two seasons. He's Shown that he has what it takes to be a very good pitcher. Toronto absolutely overpaid for you, four yeah. years and $80 million. First off, congratulations to Ryu. Let's just give it up to him. Let's give him a round of applause for that because that dude didn't pitch for two seasons essentially. He pitched about four innings over two years from 2015 and 2016. He is not dominant in the slightest. He does not throw a touch over 90. And against all odds, he made it happen i mean he he earned himself this contract he had two very good seasons um the thing that's a little confusing to me i think ryu would have made a lot more sense going to a team like the angels going to a team like possibly i don't even know where else atlanta maybe if they didn't sign cole hamels i think that would have made sense on a shorter term deal giants too the giants would have made some sense um possibly the padres yeah Because to me, Toronto is so far away from competition, from competing in baseball right now. They're still very much in a rebuild. They have some really interesting young pieces. Um, What's his name? Um, They they have all the minor, or they have all the former major league kids. They have Biggio's kid, and they have um, Dante Bichette's kid. Obviously, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, they they have all these talented young players. They're still far away. Their pitching really has taken a hit. Aaron Sanchez was supposed to be one of their aces, and he got shipped off to Houston for you know, pennies. Marcus Stroman was great, uh, but they clearly didn't want to commit to him long-term. He's out of town. I don't think they got the biggest return for him. So Ryu's going to anchor this staff, but uh, he's, he's not a guy that has the durability. I think that's you need from someone that you can say, Hey, give me 200 innings. Ryu's not going to be able to do that for you. And that, to me, that's my concern with Toronto. I don't understand paying him. And I would imagine that, right by the time Ryu's contract with Toronto is up is right when they're going to start being a legitimate threat in that division. Yeah, Right now, it's it's a little bit of a puzzling contract to me, but I think Toronto has a plan. Uh, Mark Shapiro is a pretty competent GM. They have some very smart people in charge. And they're my team that I said I would put them above the Padres in terms of farm system. They have some heavy hitters on that team. They have tons of guys that are really good. So I'm interested to see how they do. I'm rooting for Ryu. I'd love to see him do well. I hope he makes a few all-star appearances. But realistically, it's the same as if you if Tom Brady were to leave New England this offseason and go play in Jacksonville. It's, ugh, you're going to see that the team you played on helped you out quite a bit. But I'm hoping Ryu does well.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't think the Dodgers need to worry about the Blue Jays in the near future.
2: Mm-hmm. I want to
1: keep this very brief because the Blue Jays are pretty irre- irrelevant to me. I think this is more of a move to just get fans into the seats because if I was a blue Jays fan, I would actually be pretty concerned with this deal. He has a no trade clause, no opt outs. You're locking yourself into this contract and he's going to a very hitters. He's going to a very heavy hitters ballpark hitters paradise with the Yankees, Red Sox, Orioles. And I think he's going to get rocked a lot and he will. Yeah. But moving on, Rich Hill is going to Minnesota. Good for Rich Hill. Has the opportunity to make uh, up to $10 million if he fulfills all his incentives. I think it was the right move for the Dodgers to walk away. Honestly, they don't need him this year. We kind of lost him last season and didn't even realize it. So good for Rich Hill for finding a new team.
2: Yeah, he's going to need all that money to bail his wife out of jail anyways. Um, Now, anyways, uh, Rich Hill, he was another one of those guys. I think it was even to a higher degree than – Ryu. Um he's f- gonna be 40 years old. Uh he won't pitch until August the earliest. Um, I don't know. Really I-, I was relieved to see that he was gone. He- they don't need to be paying him. He was uh, he was a dog for the Dodgers. He certainly had his best years in LA. Um I felt comfortable every time he took them out in the postseason. I will say that. He had a knack for pitching in the clutch, he had a personality for it, he was likable. Um, I think he brought an attitude to that team that I like similar to the guys like Chase Utley, but it was the right move to let him go. He frankly, you know, we watched him pitch that postseason game in Washington. He didn't look like a, one of those guys that you can rely on for the future in the Dodgers. He He's not going to match up to the guys like Dustin May and Urias or even Gonsolin. Um, Certainly not Bueller. He's really, in my opinion, resigns signs with the Dodgers. He's a swing man at best. He'll go to Minnesota and he's got, you know, very low risk, high reward pitcher, but Dodgers are not losing much. Um, People, I think, are kind of overblowing this whole offseason out of proportion because the Dodgers lost in the first round against Washington. But they're going to be better off next year. These young kids, Dustin May, like, ranks 99th percentile in so many things on Baseball Savant. The guy is outstanding. Statcast, he's a Statcast superstar. And. If you look at his peripherals, his ERA might have been 4, his FIP is FIP filling independent pitching, it's like 2 points lower. He he's an outstanding young pitcher and I have full faith that if you keep these guys harnessed throughout the regular season, you don't blow them out and you use them sparingly, have them ready for the postseason, that that is a nasty rotation. That's a nasty possible Pen if they want to do what Washington and Boston had done, where they use their starters, guys like that out of the pen, possibly, that's it's a hell of a team the Dodgers have. That's <laughs> really good young yeah. pitching.
1: All types of scenarios that are just going to magically work themselves out throughout the 2020 season. They um, always do. So, yeah, we'll see. As we get closer to spring training, we'll have a better idea of the players' roles early on. Right now, it's all just kind of a guessing game. I'm ready to switch sports for a little bit. Talk to L.A. Rams. I feel like I kind of took a step back this season, was a little busy. You probably saw a lot more action than I did, and I got to
2: ask you, what went wrong? Well, it's a very simple answer. And a lot of people want to go to, you know, casual fans want to say, oh, Jared Goff is, you know, 32 touchdowns and seven picks and 19 touchdowns and 16 or 17 picks this season. They went from the number one offensive line in football that started – Six guys of five all season long to, according to Pro Football Focus, which is a very reputable site, very intelligent. That's where you go for all your O-line rankings. 31st in the NFL. The LA Rams essentially went from first to last, first to worst, in one season at their offensive line. That is completely unacceptable. Rob Havenstein goes down with an injury. Roger Saffold leaves in free agency. John Sullivan doesn't come back. Andrew Whitworth commits a lot of penalties. They committed a lot of penalties. Uh, they had a lot of insecurity. A lot of the young guys didn't look um, prepared or like they even know what they were doing there. Uh, the very young and experienced O-line. Sean McVay was putting together as best of a team as he could with that patchwork of an O-line. Aside from that, Todd Gurley, he dropped like a yard and a half per carry this season. He was like averaging 3.6, something like that. He, You know, he his production just decreased a lot they couldn't use him they, seemingly there's this secret about Todd Gurley I don't know what's going on um, he hasn't looked right since about week 14 of last season it's what killed him in the Super Bowl so Jared Goff was not able to run the ball Jared Goff didn't have the protection he was basically had the you know defensive lineman's hands in his face at all times and Jared Goff's not Kyler Murray Jared Goff's not Lamar Jackson Jared Goff's not Russell Wilson he can't overcome that I like him a lot I think he's a franchise quarterback, and I think anyone ready to give up on him is out of their mind and clearly not understanding the game of football. Jared Goff, at 24 years old, went into New Orleans, he couldn't hear, and he beat the Saints. 39-year-old Drew Brees, greatest quarterback of all time in my opinion, he went into his house and beat him at 24 years old to get to the Super Bowl. He's not the problem. Sean McVay's not the problem. People are, have such a short-term memory because they're watching Kyle Shanahan right now. The LA Rams O-line fell apart this season. And the LA Rams face a very steep hill to climb right now because they seemingly have no cap room, but don't worry, it can get better. There's a lot of things they can do to rebuild that cap space, get it to about $50 million. So they'll be able to retain most of their guys. I would imagine Brockers leaves, but they, they need to address the O line and it's going to start with the draft. They don't have a first round pick the next two years. So it'll be hard to find a left tackle which we don't know if Whitworth is coming back. We're not sure how productive he'll be. We're not sure about Havenstein's health. And the biggest concern this season was their interior linemen, the guards and center. A lot of questions there. They're going to need to focus on building the O-line. They're going to have to probably sign a free agent or two, and they're going to have to draft guys because outside of Bobby Evans and Austin Blythe getting moved back to center looks a little bit better. I have a lot of questions about that O-line, and they can't roll into next season with this group. This group is not going to get it done. If you do this again next season, you're going to see similar things happen. Jared Goff's stats are not going to look great. They're going to have trouble running the ball. They're not going to be able to run play action. Sean McVay won't be able to – he'll have his hands tied. He won't be able to call plays like he did the seasons that they had success during their Super Bowl run. So number one priority needs to be fixing the offensive line. I'm not too worried about their defense, to be quite honest with you. Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey can carry the defense. And, yes, they need to re-sign Jalen Ramsey. Those guys can carry the defense. I'd love to see Littleton stay, but those dudes can carry it. We'll talk about room in a minute. But <laughs> the, the offensive line just, to me, is the biggest issue. And it starts there with every team. Why else do you think Tom Brady's been able to play into his 40s and look like a god? Offensive line is everything.
1: Yeah, you're 100% correct. I feel like Goff is getting more criticism than he deserved, like you said. He did have a couple stinkers in there. I'm not going to completely let him off the hook. There was also a few games where McVay had some very questionable play calling, like having Goff throw the ball 70 times or whatever it was. There were like two games that they should have for sure won. It's unfortunate they didn't because the Minnesota Vikings are very mediocre team that got lucky to get into the playoffs, in my opinion. One player that I do think – The Rams have to look to explore to trade. It's their star running back, Todd Gurley. I'm looking at the stats right now. Even the rush attempts from 2018 to 2019 weren't that drastically different. He went from 256 rush attempts over 14 games to 223 rush attempts over 15 games, going from 1,250 yards to 857. And to me, I think. The mistake the Rams made was overpaying Todd Gurley when they shouldn't have.
2: Never, ever, 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 ever commit multi-year mega contracts to a running back. Huge mistake. That was the biggest problem they did. Um, and I Signing Brandon Cooks was ridiculous, too. Yes. He does not fit in that offense, just like Sammy Watkins didn't fit in that offense. It's Robert Woods, Tyler Higbee, Cooper Cup, Gerald Everett dominant. But I I agree with you 100% about exploring a trade option for Todd Gurley. You can save about $4.5 million trading him. Look, you're not going to get a huge return. And it's going to be hard for Rams fans to accept because I understand what the LA Rams were doing when they brought in all these stars. It looked terrible their first year. They hired Sean McVay and were kind of the San Francisco 49ers, where they burst onto the scene a little bit out of nowhere. They signed a lot of stars. Brought in a lot of talented guys, brought in guys that were going to sell tickets so they can sell their personal seat licenses and make sure that their season tickets sold by 2020 when the new stadium opens up. New stadiums opened up. You don't have to concern about that anymore. Focus on building a good team. And a lot of good teams in the NFL are not built by a star running back. The Dallas Cowboys went 8-8. Eight and eight. Star running backs is not it. It's not the hokey pokey. It's not what it's all about. Trading Todd Gurley would be the smartest thing. You're not going to get a huge return, but you will get relief. And as a team, as an organization, you'll be able to stop focusing on building the offense around Gurley, who's shown that he can't be the dude that can just the end all be all. He's not it. Focus on building it around Jared Goff. He's your quarterback and he's the guy you've chosen to pay. Veteran running backs are out there. There's, look at how they did when they brought in C.J. Anderson. And I think if you give Henderson more opportunities and more carries, same with Malcolm Brown, bring in a veteran running back or two. Lots of teams do it every year, and a lot of teams have been very successful doing it. The Baltimore Ravens have been really successful. They're 14-2. and two. Granted, they can't run that offense because they don't have a mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson, the Rams. But, right. I, you know, I, and a running back is only as good as his offensive line is and as good as his health is. And Todd Gurley has neither of those it appears on his side. We know his offensive line was atrocious last season. Yeah, I have a and his question. His health has been a major question. Absolutely. Tyler Higby, why yes. wasn't
1: this guy utilized a lot more during the first half of the season? It didn't seem like until about week what is it week 13 or 12, after Everett went down. Yeah. He really started to become a big part of the offense. Where was this guy in the first half because I feel like he would have made a major difference if they had Incorporated him and i I think he's going to be a top five fantasy tight end next next season
2: I'm 100 percent with you Tyler Higbee's insanely underrated had he not had the domestic issue uh where he you know got in the fight with that dude and got arrested under felony charges probably would have gone in the late first or early second Rams scooped him up late uh he's an insanely talented tight end I think the biggest reason has to be one their commitment to everett because I think they saw him as a better possession tight end and they still saw Higby a little bit more as a blocking tight end. Um, we watched him in the second half and in the second half, I will say the Rams offensive line did get better. Wasn't great, but it got a little bit better. The scheme that McVeigh was running was better because Higby on a lot of the play action passes and a lot of the passes where Jared Goff was able to roll out of the pack, roll out of the pocket, not just sit back and try to air it out and, you know, do all that when he was able to get out of the pocket a little bit, he was able to find Higby Jared Goff does amazing fighting tight ends and we've watched these plays happen a lot. I mean, it's like on Madden. It's one of the play action top plays that the Rams have in their playbook. You roll out the tight end you give it off to Higby. He was one of the top receiving tight ends. In my opinion, watching him probably the most underrated tight end, you know, you got the guys like Travis Kelsey, you got the guys like George Kittle. Higby's got to be up there. And I agree with you next season, he will be at the top for fantasy. They need to get him more involved. Forget about Brandon Cooks. Forget about, you know, paying these deep threat receivers because that's not the kind of guy Jared Goff is. Utilizing the tight ends, maybe doing a two tight end set could work as well. But I I completely agree in the sense that Tyler Higby proved he needs to be a big part of this offense. And going forward, he needs to be a big part of the offense.
1: Yeah. Next season is going to be a very interesting Ram season. I'm gonna be very tuned into the off season because I think a lot of stuff's gonna go down. Greg Zerloin is a notable free agent who I would hate to see let go, but I think Greg the leg, yeah, I think he's got to go. Too many injury problems. He did not have a good season. I hate to. Say I'm always it. gonna
2: wonder what happened if they did not miss that kick in Seattle.
1: Definitely, and I hate to say it because we've seen it time after time again where kickers blow big games, but. Committing money to a kicker is never the right call because so many guys can give you a similar performance for much less. Very true. I think that's all I got to say about the Rams, you know, but there are some teams still playing. The season ain't over. We got the NFL playoffs. So I just want to get a quick insight. How do you see the, if you have this playoff pull in front of
2: you, how do you see it going down? I got my filled out bracket ahead of me with all the scores for every game but I'll I'll keep it quick. Um I'll go through each conference in the AFC. Um we've watched Baltimore play all season. You can't stop that team. You can't if you can't stop the run, you can't stop Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, they can just attack you. They're so physical. Their defense is outstanding they're the team to beat in the AFC. I think their biggest challenge is Kansas City. Kansas City's got a very high-powered offense. Uh, Locking up the number two seed and getting a bye is huge for them because I believe they'll beat New England at home, Uh, as do I believe Baltimore's going to be able to beat Buffalo. Uh, In a championship game, Kansas City's defense has improved. They're certainly better off this season than they were last season, and their biggest issue to me, Kansas City, is that their time of possession – they. They throw too much. They don't run the ball enough. And Baltimore will be able to build a lead against you and they will be able to just run the clock out. And that's what's going to help Baltimore get into the Super Bowl where they'll play the NFC opponent, who I believe is a New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees has been the best quarterback in the NFL over the last month. The New Orleans Saints are the best team in the NFL right now. They're locked up the three seed. They're going to go into Green Bay. They're not going to have a problem with them, I don't think. Uh, Green Bay. Like Colin Coward has been saying, and I'm going to give him credit on this one thing, um, they're too finesse. They, they're not physical enough. And New Orleans' defense right now is one of the best in the NFL. New Orleans is a good enough team to go into Green Bay and beat them. San Francisco-New Orleans is going to be the championship game, I believe. Um, and from there, it's going to be a different outcome than when they played during the regular season. It's the playoffs, and Drew Brees has been here before. And they're very, you know, the last two seasons for the uh, Saints have ended very disappointing, especially last season, where a lot of them felt like they should have gone to the Super Bowl. But, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. They will have to play the 49ers, who have been the best team in the NFC this season. And I think New Orleans wins that game. And the Super Bowl is going to be great. Baltimore and New Orleans, two, believe it or not, very similar teams. Yeah, New Orleans doesn't have the mobile quarterback in Drew Brees like Lamar Jackson is, but they're both very physical. They'll come right at you. And ultimately, my pick for the Super Bowl is New Orleans winning 24-20 against Baltimore.
1: 24-20. Baltimore is not
2: fa- – yeah, Baltimore's not faced a defense like New Orleans that's that physical. Um, both great offensive lines, but in the end, I'm going to go with the veteran quarterback. Um, it's really a tough say for me, um, but I think the biggest takeaway has to be uh, – New England, it really is not going to be much of a factor, I don't think, in the playoffs this year. And I say that often, but New England's going to have one home game. They're going to have to go on the road twice to get to the Super Bowl. And I don't think they're capable of doing it.
1: Oh, man. What the heck? We got like the same picks. Really? I don't have to repeat everything you just said. The only things I'm going to slightly differ than you. I got the Texans beating the Bills. I'm going with the better quarterback. I'm going with the more experienced team. Buffalo hasn't been there before. I mean, Bill O'Brien is as bad of a head coach when it comes to clutch games as there is, but I really think Deshaun Watson's going to shine. Hence, leaving to a very exciting Watson-Lamar Jackson game because I don't have the Titans beating the Patriots. I think the Patriots no are going yeah. Patriots are going to steamroll Tennessee – they're going to face Kansas City. And once again, Tom Brady is going to come through, beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs because wow. if you can count on Andy Reid to do one thing, it's to lose playoff games to inferior teams. And, yes, the Patriots are the defending champions. They, For most of the season, they've had the number one defense, and that's what it's going to come down to. It's the defense of the Patriots. going to put Mahomes in check because the Chiefs do not have a good running game. Brady's going to run out the clock as usual. It's going to be a close game. But when you give Tom Brady last possession, he's always going to deliver. So I got the Patriots winning by a field goal in that game. That's where it gets interesting. Baltimore will beat New England. Lamar Jackson's going to be the next talk of the AFC for the next few years to come. Moving on to the NFC. I don't need to go in much depth, but yeah, I like New Orleans over San Francisco. I think this is going to be Drew Brees' year. It's the redemption year for the Saints, Saints all the way. I'm picking the Saints to win the Super Bowl over the Baltimore Ravens in a little bit of a more high-scoring game, but it'll be like 31 to 27 or so.
2: I could see that too. Uh, These are both high-powered offenses right now. But, yeah, New Orleans, they're hard to pick against, Um, and it's going to be interesting. They're going to be a number three seed, I believe, going to the Super Bowl. Here's an interesting stat for you. In the last decade, and I'm going to start the decade at the Super Bowl between the Giants and Patriots because that's where it starts. I'm going to count not the year. I'm going to count your first, the full year in the NFL that decade. So 2010 or 2011 into then. This there's been three teams outside of the one or two seed to make it to the Super Bowl between both conferences. The one and two have dominated the Super Bowl. Any given Sunday thing is not ringing true recently in the NFL. Just think back to the recent Super Bowl matchups, one and two, two and two, one and one. It's been a lot of these teams, because I believe in the NFL, having that not only week to rest, but for a head coach and his staff, a week to prepare. And these are the best in the NFL. You don't get to be the number one and two seed by being slouches. This is where the special coaches like the Kyle Shanahans, the Harbaughs, Andy Reid, Sean Payton last season, Sean McVay last season. These are where the best coaches have an extra week to prepare and their guys get to rest up. It's a major advantage. New Orleans is going to put that to bed a little bit because I believe Green Bay having the younger head coach, having Aaron Rodgers play, in my opinion, at his worst I've ever seen right now, he's really not playing that great. Um, It'll be a rare instance, but Man, it's just such an interesting thing because in baseball you see wild card teams have gone on to win the World Series, Giants and Nationals. In basketball, you see a lot of upset teams. You know, we watched Dallas that one year against the Lakers. But in football, it's really it's been the favorites, and it's going to be the favorites again this year, I think. Kind of dominating the playoffs.
1: Yeah, we'll see. You know, like you said, any given Sunday, I, I think um, having that bye week definitely pays dividends for many teams. I think that covers football for today. There's one other big time sport going on. I know it's not hockey. It's basketball. And the first thing I want to talk about is the Lakers and Clippers Christmas game. Since I didn't get to get to that. How the heck did the Clippers beat the Lakers?
2: Well, you know, you could go into talk about as much as, you know, go there's blown calls and stuff. But certainly the um, officiating in that game is one of the things that was hotly talked about um, in you could argue that the lakers got some calls that didn't go in their favor but when you put those two next to each other and you put a lebron that possibly was rushed back to play on christmas day and you put a anthony davis that might not have been at full health and you take a lakers team that's now 27 and 7 still an outstanding record they're almost at an 800 winning percentage they're flawed they're a very good team but they're very flawed the first about up until christmas they were playing last place teams they were playing not very good teams. They weren't having the hardest competition and they were winning games. They've had a lot of ugly wins. They're, they're a good team. They have, in my opinion, still the best duo in the NBA, but the LA Clippers play outstanding defense. It's not just Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, guys like Patrick Beverly, guys like Montrez Harrell, guys that are coming off the bench. They have the best bench in the NBA and they're very focused. They have a great head coach they're a good team. And I believe the Lakers to get to the finals this season will have to play the Clippers. And you put those two next to each other. You start to see the flaws that the Lakers have. You start to see why the Clippers are so good. Again, Lakers, very good team. Still think they need to make an addition or two at the deadline.
1: Yeah. For me, I think a lot of that game came down to playing Ronda way too many minutes Yes. have not been a big fan of Rajon Rondo this season. The guy is not doing a very good job of creating his own shot, and it seems like half the time he's just running around in circles. Not Him and LeBron on the floor together don't seem to be working out too well. And I think there might be a time come deadline where LeBron's going to make that call and he's going to have to say sayonara to Rajon Rondo. I know Darren Collison has expressed... Interest in coming to the Lakers. Personally, I'm not a fan of that move. I don't think he makes the Lakers better. One guy that I really want people to get on board with is Luke Kennard of the Detroit Pistons. Last season, Lakers made a trade with the Pistons. So obviously, there's a little bit of a relationship there when they got Reggie Bullock, though he didn't do anything. Even though Luke Kennard's injured right now, he played college ball at Duke, so he's got a little experience playing in the spotlight. Guy's averaging 15.8 points a game right now, shooting 40% behind the three-point line, 44% shooter in general. Guy's got three and a half rebounds, four assists. Personally, I think he's the type of shooter the Lakers need, and Kyle Kuzma's starting to play a little bit better, but he's still
2: inconsistent. He is quite inconsistent, but I believe he's earned himself the right to at least be out of trade rumors for right now. Kyle Kuzma on Christmas day was arguably the best man on the floor for the LA Lakers that day, which is a big game. Uh, Kyle Kuzma at times looks like a superstar. Uh, maybe not a, a star. He borderly he looks like a borderline star at times. Uh, the other guy I think the Lakers may have interest in. He's been widely rumored as Jay Crowder of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, another veteran guy, you know, he knows his role. Um, the initial trade they were talking about was maybe trading KCP, but I don't know. I'm looking lately. KCP has arguably been the best guy off the bench for the Lakers outside of Dwight Howard. Yep. Um, but I think their biggest issue is they, they have an issue at guard, I think. And it's guys like Rajon Rondo. It's guys like Avery Bradley, you know, Bradley plays decent defense, but they have KCP and, they have other guys that can play guard. They, Alex Caruso, yeah, I know he's a bit of a meme, and it's insane <laughs> that he's got about 100,000 votes in the All-Star game right now, but he's a solid complimentary player off the bench. They have too many guards, and they, more importantly, have too many guards that can't shoot. That's got to be their biggest thing they address. And yeah. Snoop Dogg, Stoop Dogg even seems pretty concerned about it. So, you know, better get yeah, yourself back in the gym.
1: Troy, Daniel, Troy Daniels, Jared Dudley, Ugh, Jared Quinn, Dud. even Quinn Cook, those guys – I don't think they're going to have much of a role the rest of their Laker tenure. And hence, that's why they really need to upgrade if they can. I know they are short on draft picks. They need one more score because I love Danny Green and all, but he's very inconsistent. Avery Bradley's going to have more off games than on games. And if we have to bank on Caldwell Pope to be our top scorer off the bench, if Kuzma's not getting the job done, it's going to be a little rough. So we'll see what the Lakers do, but I definitely think they need to add somebody.
2: There's also the rumor they may trade for Robert Covington of the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's interesting. Certainly more of a starter caliber player, but at this point, man, they gotta be all in for this chip this year because there's no telling how long and I don't get me wrong, LeBron James has been a workhorse and been outstanding over his career, but he's you gotta think he's getting up into his you know, not even mid 30s. He's hidden up to the, you know, age where players really start to decline. 35. You know, he's a bit of, bit of an exception to the rule, but, you know, you probably want to capture this championship while Anthony Davis is still in the midst of his prime, while LeBron James is still capable of playing at a top level like this. Um, so Kyle Kuzma, you know, before he's going to get paid, Danny Green, yeah, how long are you going to have these guys around? You got to really think, got to push for this year. Got to push for it to be this year.
1: Yeah. Well, right now they're three and a half games ahead of the Nuggets who are currently playing for the top seed, and I think they're going to hold on. I really do think Lakers will be the one seed at the end of the day, barring any major meltdown or injury. Tomorrow they have an exciting game against the New Orleans Pelican. Second time these teams have met up this year, I believe. Definitely curious. I hope Lonzo Ball plays this game because I think he missed the last one. I love the revenge narrative. I want to see what Ball and Ingram are going to do against the Lakers. Coming back to L.A. and Anthony Davis going up against his old team. Hopefully he has a big game. Should be a fun one to watch. I really want Zion Williamson to see the floor soon because I really think that guy is going to be a superstar.
2: Yeah, New Orleans has a good future. I mean, certainly Brandon Ingram, it, you know, even as a Laker fan, I'm cheering for him, he's proven basically what we'd all been saying this whole time wait for him he's a franchise guy and he's a franchise guy and i believe that him and zion you know if zion was able to be somewhat of what we expected coming out of college maybe he's not going to be the next lebron but he can be a very good physical player that can lead a franchise that team don't look now they could be really good josh hart off the bench they have some pieces indeed they do Brandon Ingram averaging
1: 25 points a game in case you guys didn't know. So doing really good. Covers the Lakers. Briefly talked about the Clippers. Clippers are going to just be doing their load management all season. That's the team to watch out for in the playoffs. That's when they're really going to stomp your throat, put the foot on the gas pedal, all that, et cetera. Can't sleep on them. They've already beat the Lakers twice this season. Ian, I would like to know Your Dodgers All-Decade team, because I know you have a list.
2: I do have a list, and I will pull it up momentarily. The All-Decade team, which was quite an interesting one to make because it was dominated by, you know, the last five years, of course. But um, we'll get started. This is my All-Decade team. This is not the one voted on by the fans. This is my own personal one. I have an article out. I explain everything. But I'll do a brief job of – Going over everything real quick to explain my all decade team of the LA Dodgers who went to two world series and they hadn't done that since 1988. So, you know, baby steps (laughs) on the bench. Your backup catcher is Russell Martin. The Dodgers did not have great catching play this, this decade. Um, Martin would be the next guy after who are the other options? Rod Barajas and Austin Barnes and, AJ Ellis, yes. Russell Martin has to be the guy. who was a veteran. He played well in clutch moments, only played two seasons this decade, but I'm going to give it to him. Andre Ethier, a guy we all love and remember coming off the bench in this team, um, veteran at bats, had some really great seasons. At times looked like a five tool player. Kike and Taylor are both guys that are my utility players off the bench. They could play anywhere. And Chris Taylor looked like a franchise guy for one season. Jock Peterson, it was tough for me. I was going between Hanley Ramirez or Jock Peterson on the bench. Ultimately, I went with Jock Peterson because I'm going to want another left-handed bat. And I'm just going to go with the a little bit of an emotional aspect. Jock Peterson is certainly more fun in the hearts of all of us than Hanley Ramirez. Starting lineup of the decade, Corey Seager is leading off at shortstop. He kind of went uncontested. I mean, who else are you going to put? Hanley Ramirez was there for about a year and a half, and he couldn't field. Uh, rafael for call was there for one season where he was even an impact player so it goes to see You're justin turner at third base the dodgers had seemingly not had a franchise third baseman since beltray left against all odds justin turner became in my opinion arguably consistently the dodgers player of the decade he was constantly hitting in the middle of the order whenever he got the opportunity uh really bought into the launch angle changed his swing changed his offensive approach to me that was outstanding cody bellinger will be batting third in center field. He was the Dodgers MVP this decade. He was the one Dodger position player that won an MVP. He's got an insane future ahead of him. He's already a top 10 player in baseball. He's five tool. He can do it all. Matt Kemp will be my guy batting fourth because I'm going to go based on their best season. Matt Kemp had the best season of any Dodger this, this decade, as a position player at least. The dude was one home run shy of a 40-40 season. Do not forget how dominant Matt Kemp was. Adrian Gonzalez has to be the first baseman, and it really isn't contested. Max Muncy's going to be my second baseman, though he doesn't really play second base naturally. The other options were like Blake DeWitt and Ryan Terrio and Logan Forsyth and Brian Dozier. So, yeah, Muncy. Uh, Grandall's going to be my catcher, but batting seventh. I know you, a lot of you are going to hate that, but Yasmani Grandal is still one of baseball's best catchers because not only can he provide you with elite pitch framing and very good defense, he'll hit you 20 home runs. I know he went disappearing every postseason, but he was the best Dodger catcher this decade. Yasiel Puig, I'm going to have him batting eighth in right field. Ooh. You know, he—it was tough for me not to put an eighth here. I wanted to, but Yasiel Puig, at times, looked like he was going to turn into the next big superstar in baseball. And while I wouldn't clarify it or classify him as a bust because he did have All Star seasons and most of his years as a Dodger were at least productive, he never quite turned into the player we thought he would be. Pitching staff, Kershaw's obviously number one. Do I even need to go into it? Three Cy Youngs, an MVP, pitching Triple Crown. I don't care that he doesn't come up in October. The dude was the pitcher of the decade. He's the pitcher of the generation. He's a first ballot unanimous Hall of Famer, no matter what he does the rest of his career. Zach Granke's my number two. His prime years were with the Dodgers. He led all of baseball in ERA in his walk year. He seemingly has aged like fine wine. He's gotten better with time. Walker Bueller's my number three. He's the ace of the Dodgers, in my opinion, at this point. Um, He's going to lead this rotation through the decade. He has unhittable stuff. He's dominant. He's clutch. And I trust him with the ball in the postseason. Hunjin Ryu is my number four. He missed two seasons, but guess what? It doesn't matter because of the last two seasons. He's been number two in ERA and all of baseball right behind Jacob DeGrom. Rich Hill is my number five. He beat out Chad Billingsley. He beat out Hiroki Kuroda. He beat out Alex Wood. I gave it to Rich Hill. He came through in October, and his best years were with the Dodgers, ironically, starting at age 36 towards the end of his career. The bullpen was kind of a tough one because it's mostly a lot of guys that had one year as a Dodger that were really good. Uh, Kenley Jansen was my only obvious choice for obvious reasons. He accumulated an insane wins above replacement over this time, and his ERA minus was, on average, under 50. That's unheard of. Kenley Jansen, we seem to forget, and I'll even admit, because I'm a big critic of him, struggled a lot the last two seasons from 2010 to 2017 you could argue he was the best pitcher relief pitcher in all baseball best closer he was outstanding Brandon Morrow one season as a Dodger one outstanding season as a Dodger the dude against injuries being you know type one diabetic being somewhat of a bust at the number five overall pick in the same class as Kershaw really gave the Dodgers his right arm that postseason run and Unfortunately, he hasn't been able to bounce back, but thank you, Brandon, for that season you gave us. Pedro Baez is part of my bullpen as well. He went from, you know, hate club to cult hero. What more can I say? Joe Blanton I'm going to put in the bullpen as well. One good season as a Dodger. You know, he pitched, I think there was another year, like 2013 or 2012, where he pitched for about a month and a half off waivers, and he was pretty terrible. But – he reinvented himself in 2016, became a relief pitcher. And if it wasn't for that grand slam, he gave up against Miguel Montero. A lot of us would have fonder memories of him. My bullpen now of lefties. I got three JP Howell. A lot of you guys forgot who he was. And I know Kevin certainly didn't though. He arguably was the most underrated Dodgers reliever this decade. He came through and clutched situations for the LA Dodgers and they completely underutilized him. And Don Mattingly is mostly to blame for that when he was manager Instead of leaving Clayton Kershaw in to 110 pitches where he can't throw anymore and the teams opposing have seen enough of him, J.P. Howe probably should have seen a lot more time. Who knows if they would have utilized him correctly. Could be talking a whole different story right now. Julio Rias out of my bullpen. Missed a lot of time this decade, largely due to that injury that he had. Recovered from it, rotator cuff, pretty rare to come back from. He's turned himself into an outstanding reliever, and he's ready to take the reins as a starting pitcher. As is our final guy, Alex Wood. I put him in my bullpen. He didn't see much time as a reliever, but sometimes in the bullpen you like to have a guy that you know can give you length. And Alex Wood, for Dodgers fans, at least in my opinion, will forever live in our hearts as somewhat of a legend. Because in my opinion, he put out the best start in the 2017 World Series, Game 4, when he took a no-hitter into the sixth inning before giving up a home run to Yuli Guriel. So that is my team of the decade. Feel free to criticize and pick it apart as you may.
1: Not much criticism gonna, that's going to come from me. I will say I'm putting AJ Ellis as my backup catcher over Russell Martin. I think Ellis had a bigger impact this decade than Martin did. He always came through in the playoffs. He was a huge bat in the 2014 postseason. Nearly hit 400. He was Kershaw's guy. The chemistry was just there. So I love me some AJ Ellis. Unfortunately, Grandall was our best catcher of the decade. It's a great thing in the regular season. Not so much in the postseason, like you already said. No way I'm having Yasiel Puig as my all-decade right fielder. I'm actually going to put Cody Bellinger there, putting Matt Kepp in center. Doesn't leave me a lot of options, but... He may have not have been the most consistent player of the decade, but I'm going to put Chris Taylor in left field because I think his Ooh. 2017 season really put the Dodgers over the top to why they made the World Series. Very underrated guy at leadoff. It's unfortunate what happened after that, but the 2017 Chris Taylor was our top three outfielder of that entire decade. I know it's a bold statement, but I would really hey. go Bellinger, Kemp, and then Taylor. In terms of the infield, I really like Max Muncy, but I still got to go with my boy, D Gordon. The guy was just the real-life Willie Mays Hay of his time. I really am sad they traded him away. I think D Gordon had a lot of bright years ahead of him, besides the PEDs and all that. (laughs) And Clayton Kershaw, of course, is the pitcher of the decade, but if I was to just... Pull, um, pull out one season peak Zach ranky was actually better than peak Clayton Kershaw what Ooh. Zach ranky did in 2015 I believe he had a war of like nine and I think Kershaw's yeah. top war was not even eight when Granky took the mound that season you knew the Dodgers were coming away with a win and Griggy did all he had he gave it all he had in the postseason it's a, kind of a shame the Dodgers' bats weren't there to support him. and Daniel Murphy happened, but Zach Rangy, 2015, I'm never going to forget how good he is, and it sucks that they let him walk.
2: 1.66 ERA was absolutely just insane. I know that his feeling independent pitching seemed a little inflated because he was pitching for the Dodgers, but I don't care. His ERA was 1.66. How he didn't walk away with the Cy Young that season is an absolute travesty to me that it went to. And don't get me wrong, Jake Arrieta had a great season. But I think, you know, the baseball writers were a little bit too enamored with the Chicago Cubs being on the brink of finally breaking their curse. And MLB just was having their love fest with the Cubs then. So so I get it.
1: Yeah. To add to that, I think what gave Arrieta the Cy Young Award will always come down
2: to him throwing a no-hitter against the Dodgers that season. At Dodger Stadium on Sunday Night Baseball. Yeah. I remember. Isn't that when the Dodgers had like, two no hitters against him in like a week when like Mike fires through a no hitter against him or something in Houston. Yep. Cameras. <laughs> yep. It was <laughs> pretty good. All decade team. I'd agree with you on most all of that. My one big, uh, I'm sure a lot of people will agree with you on is uh, D Gordon at second base. I am not going to put a second baseman who could barely put up a 700 OPS in his best season. I'm not even sure if he put that up and negative defensive runs save at second base, man. Come on, come on, Gordon. I, I, I get that you were fast and I get you hit for a high average, but you had absolutely no pop. You didn't draw walks. You didn't put up good defense defense at third base. And while I'm not going to argue that Max Muncy's a gold glover at second base, at least with the way baseball shifted, literally pun intended, You can hide Max Muncy in the defense a little bit. When you shift all these dudes over to the right, you're able to have Max Muncy give you about third base, first base level range at second base and not be screwed over too much. You know, he's definitely going to need his work turning double plays, but I think he kind of, and I think we touched on this in an earlier episode a couple months ago, he's actually turned himself into a fair defensive second baseman for what the Dodgers need. And man, can he whack it out of the park? I mean, the dude, his OPS, I think, is over 900 the last two years. He's given him 70 home runs. Um, Yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer for me to put Muncy there. Sorry, guys. Definitely
1: was a bargain signing that's really paying dividends for the Dodgers.
2: Friedman doing what he does
1: best. We can spare a little time for a quick out-of-left-field segment. I don't really have much to say. You know, I just spent a little time in Cabo, Mexico. That was nice. I would like to know, Ian, what's your favorite season and why? Um, Not sports season, just
2: seasons in general. You know, had you asked me this in fall, I would have said winter. But I'm single, and the winter kind of sucks when you're single. So I'm not going to go with the winter. I instead – gonna go with actually spring and i'm gonna go with spring over summer because spring is the time where you know you really see the difference outside you see the difference going from cold dreary days maybe not as much in california but for all intents and purposes it heats up um and i just in my experiences maybe because i'm still a student The end of the year and getting close to the end and finishing is the most fulfilling feeling. Just, I mean, just sitting, you know, on your behind all summer is not really the most productive thing. And it's hot outside a lot of times during the summer and, you know, it can get a little bit miserable. So I'm going to go with spring. It's baseball's coming back. Uh, Barbecues are happening. Pool parties are starting to pop up and you finally get to enjoy the sun. You get to enjoy, you know, driving down the street with your windows rolled down it's hard for me not to pick fall too. I like fall a lot. Um, but I'm going to go with the spring. What about you, Kevin? Fair enough. For those of you out there that your birthday is in early March and you claim
1: you're a spring baby. You're not, you're, you're still a winter baby. I'm sorry. Spring doesn't start till March 21st. Most years, my favorite season, I got to go with summer and I'll tell you guys why. First of all, back when I was in school, there was no more satisfying feeling than knowing that summer break was coming. You've been working hard all year long in school, tons of homework, you get that relief of summer, it's the freedom. It's also the time of the best weather because I prefer it hot, I don't like being cold. In spring, there's a lot of rain, some wind chill, the Santa Anas pop up from time to time, not in summer, most days are sunny. It's also typically the season where the sun stays out the longest. I hate darkness. I love being out till like 738 and the sun is still just barely up. Not when you're getting out of your office and it's like five o'clock and dark. It's also the time of the year where you can wear shorts. You can swim in the pool all day. It's just the vibe is just people are happier. Everything just feels better in summer. That's when baseball is really getting into full steam. NBA season has just been ending, but you've got the dog days of summer, as they call it in baseball, and that's honestly my favorite season. I could go on, but just want to say
2: summer is number one for me. Yeah, and you know, summer to me a little bit is kind of like this possible trade between the Dodgers with Mookie Betts and David Price. You get June and July, you get the best parts of summer, and they you got to deal with August and September. And even parts of October, if you're living in Southern California or in the heart of the desert where I live now, Got to take on a little bit of the good with the bad. So, overall, that kind of drops down my grade for summer. And also, um, overall, for some people, it can be kind of unbearably hot. But I will say the months of June and July are probably the two best because it's just got trade season, you got baseball season, you got pool parties, you got everything going on, you got a lot of summer holidays going on. So, I I see the rankings. It's tough. Hard to decide for that one. What's your segment today ian if you have one i'm trying to think of my segment it's just we're entering a new decade and that's a little bit crazy because i'm just looking back at all the things that happened this decade do you remember that people legitimately thought at the beginning of this decade we would not live to talk about the end of the decade the year 2012 was supposed to be our final year on earth i think it was december 21st And I think it's just funny looking back, you know, you could do it with any decade, looking back and seeing all the crazy things that happened or were predicted to happen. And man, it's just, I'm going to say this 2020 right now, we sit here and we look, you know, at a lot of the things around us that are everyday norms. Imagine being told in 2010 that not only will you be here to talk about 2020 LeBron James would be an LA Laker not being political in the slightest. Donald Trump would be president of the United States. And what else is another one we could think of that's just hard to believe? Red Hot Chili Peppers reuniting with John Frusciante? Who knows? Yep. It. It's always a fun thing to sit back every decade and look at how much things have changed. In this decade, we lost a lot of people. We lost a whole lot of celebrities. We lost a whole lot of important personalities. We certainly had a lot of turnover. A lot of things changed at the beginning of the decade. You know, Dodgers were owned by a different organization or, you know, they were owned by the McCourts and it's just interesting to think right now. So I'd like you to take a second and think about where you're at right now, if you're listening and maybe write down whatever the big things are and reflect because you're going to look back in a decade and it'll be crazy how things change and how much of a different person you are at the beginning of this decade. I was a fat little kid and now I'm in college and it's just absolutely wild to think where you will be from now. So that's my sort of philosophical out of left field. Very deep that I threw together right now and did not prepare at all. We're going to wrap up the show pretty
1: soon, but I'm going to throw this last off the board topic at you. You could pick the Dodgers if you want, but which – I'll go first. Which baseball team do you think is going to have the most success in the 2020s? You could go with regular season wins. You could go with World Series trophies. You just got to pick a team. You can do NBA too. For me, unfortunately, I think the Yankees are going to be the team that dominates the 20s. I'm going to predict they have three World Series trophies, and I'm going to also predict they have the most wins in baseball during this decade.
2: I think the Yankees are going to actually disappoint a lot of people in the 2020s. If I'm going to pick the team I'm predicting to be the most successful in the 2020s, it's the Atlanta Braves. Um, I think they win a pair of world series. At least Ronald Acuna is going to assert himself as a top five player in baseball. If not the goat in baseball, this decade, they're finally starting to have all the pitching. They're very well-run organization. Historically, it's a baseball town. Um, So I'm going to go with the Atlanta Braves I think the Dodgers will I I do predict the Dodgers break their curse this decade. I think they pick up a World Series at least. And I'm gonna go even a little bit crazier. I think two teams, two teams break their World Series droughts. I'm predicting the San Diego Padres will be one of them. And I'm predicting potentially not the Milwaukee Brewers. I think the Seattle Mariners will play in their first World Series this decade. I like it. Their farm system is finally starting to build, build, be built back up. And Jerry DePoto has shown that he's a pretty competent GM when you give him the chance, Artie Moreno. And I think the Angels are just going to disappoint all decade. Mike Trout's going to start to age, and Anthony Rendon's contract's are going to look ridiculous. But I think the Atlanta Braves will be the team I go with, being the most successful holistically in terms of being in the postseason a lot and also probably winning the most championships.
1: I like it. Yeah, I I got the Braves winning at least one as well. Another team I think that's going to get back to the dance will be the Cincinnati Reds in a few seasons.
2: Reds have good pitching, man. Don't look now, but Luis Castillo, Trevor Bauer, and Sonny Gray, that's a pretty damn good one-two-three. Not a lot of teams yes. have a better 1-2-3 attack at the top of their rotation than that team. Um, the, I'm not ready to to crown them champions of that division just yet. I still am a little suspect on their offense. I think Eugenio Suarez is a franchise guy, and I think Mike Moustakas can give you 40 home runs, but I'm going to need to believe that future Hall of Famer Joey Votto gets back to getting on base at the clip he was. Uh, He seemed like a bit of an ageless wonder, and he started to look his age a little bit this season. And, you know, if they can sign Marcelo Zuna or bring in another big bat in the outfield, I believe that they will – they can make a run in 2016 – or 2020. I was thinking 16 when the Cubs came back. But uh, that that division's a little bit wide open, man. I mean, you can count Pittsburgh out. um, But Milwaukee, they still have the offense. They still have Yelich. uh, The Chicago Cubs, who I believe have underwhelmed, still I believe are way too talented to ever count them out. And we just talked about the Reds, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, the reigning division champs, very deep at pitching. Yeah, well – We'll definitely get to those teams in a few
1: months before the season gets started. Just wanted to cover basketball real quick, too, since I love the NBA almost as much as baseball. I'm going to say the team that runs this 2020s decade, the Lakers are going to get one, but the team that I think is going to get three at least will be the Dallas Mavericks. Damn, you just took my team, dude. I was going to go with the Mavericks, too. The reason being... Luka Doncic is going to be a top three player probably starting as early as next season for probably the next decade. He'll probably win an MVP or two. And I think they're going to swing another big star. It could be the Greek freak Giannis. It could be Ben Simmons. It could, it could be a whole bunch of players, but I think someone's going to come join Doncic in Dallas. I think Mark Cuban knows exactly what he's doing and they're going to have the new super team running that decade with Christoph Porzingis, Donchage, and the unnamed
2: superstar of that, whoever. Yep. Um, when I look at professional sports and I make any prediction, especially a long-term prediction, don't look at who's currently on the team because players age quickly and they age a lot quicker than you would think. Look at an organization as a toll and look at their ownership, look at their front office, look at their coaching. Look at their track record and their legacy, and that will tell you who will be successful. It's not going to be hard for me to tell you the New York Knicks won't be very successful in the NBA the next decade if Jerry Dolan still owns the team. It won't be very difficult for me to tell you that the Dallas Mavericks, like you just mentioned, or the LA Clippers, who have very competent owners who are hungry to win, probably going to be successful. But I am 100% with you on the Dallas Mavericks. I think the Clippers break their drought. I think they win a title or two with Kawhi and Paul George. I would imagine the Lakers win another title at some point this decade. Um, but yeah, I, I think teams that have good, competent ownership and are there a lot, you will see win. Unfortunately, I think teams like Denver are going to fizzle out. I think teams like Milwaukee will fizzle out because I, I'm just going to wonder, is Giannis, gonna, Giannis is not a big superstar guy. He's not a big personality brand guy like LeBron James. But let's not say he's going to be in Milwaukee for the whole decade. Do you want to do an NFL one? Who who would be your NFL? Just (laughs) off the top of your head, team. Oh man, run the decade. You might
1: have to go first. I gotta think real quick. (sighs) Not going uh, the Rams. I'm gonna no.
2: I'm I'm not gonna go the Rams either. The LA Rams. um, I would not be surprised if they win a title. I still believe that Jared Goff wins two championships with Sean McVay in his career. Right, but man, you got to look at quarterback first and you have to look at an organization as its whole i think watch out for the san francisco 49ers throughout the 20s for sure they um they have the quarterback they have the head coach they have the system um i believe philadelphia is capable of being there new england's definitely going to fall apart especially when belichick and brady are both gone yes i'm going to say in the nfc san francisco runs is the best team holistically through the twenties. And I think the Kansas city chiefs are the best team in the AFC, because when you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who I think is going to age very nicely. And I think we'll sit back in a decade barring any horrible injury or something awful like that. Those are going to be your two teams that I think meet in the Super Bowl or two this decade.
1: All right. I guess I have a team and I'm going to have to start it with a, uh... The 2020 Super Bowl. I got the Saints winning that one. So that'll be one. But I think yeah. the most I think the most we're gonna see a team win is two Super Bowls this decade. I don't think we're gonna have another Patriots of four or five or whatever.
2: No, not at all.
1: And ah, it's so hard to pick. I'm just gonna go with the Baltimore Ravens. I think they get bounced in this Super Bowl, rebound next season win it all, and then they run away with another one in another year or two after that win. So I'm going to go with the Ravens.
2: You know, it's not hard to pick. Like I told you, it's not hard to pick team success in football, in my opinion. I, I don't think it's far at all to sit here and say right now, Cleveland is probably going to make the playoffs once if they're lucky because their ownership coaching and quarterback situation are going to continue to be a disaster if they don't change it. And a team like Baltimore, who has very good coaching and very good ownership, Probably going to see the playoffs and prosper quite a bit. I'm just interested to see how Lamar Jackson holds up in the league. We've seen a lot of these guys, the RG3s. You know, i always going to wonder how Michael Vick would have panned out had he not done the horrible thing he'd done off the field. But, man, it's going to be interesting to see really what happens this decade because this is going to be the decade that Tom Brady leaves. You know, he basically been in the NFL for two whole decades dominating with Bill Belichick.
1: All right, it's time to wrap up the incline. So I want your closing thoughts on what you think the Dodgers will do in the next couple weeks or anything in general. Just throw it out there.
2: I don't want to make a prediction. I My heart wants to tell me that Mookie Betts and David Price are headed to L.A., but realistically, I would not be surprised if they're done making moves. I think they roll into the season with the roster they have right now. I'm still holding hope for Mookie Betts, and I think it's a very good trade if you make it. Please do it, and you won't have to give up your top prospects, which is amazing. Um, If they do it, I think you make them the new World Series favorites over the New York Yankees. And Clemson or LSU? I'm just going to put that one out there for myself. I think LSU wins this game, but I think Trevor Lawrence ends up being the better quarterback overall in his career after he is drafted.
1: I like it. For me, my final thoughts, Mookie Betts is going to be a Dodger within the next two weeks. I said it earlier. I'm very confident this trade is going to happen. I will be shocked if it doesn't, unless the Dodgers swing something else big, because I do think that move is inevitably coming. Thank you all for listening. Today it was just me and Ian. Follow us on Twitter. Twitter handles will be posted in the description below. Everyone have a great weekend, and we out.